0: Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, where we talk to changemakers and innovators focused on upending systems not designed by or for them to create a more inclusive and equitable world. I'm your host, Sarah Chapman Becerra. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the Trailblazing in Color podcast. Our guest today is an Emmy Award-winning Distinguished Software Engineer who is passionate about encouraging more young women to enter the tech field. Leslie Chapman is our guest today, and I'm lucky enough to also call her my Aunt Leslie. Over the course of our conversation, we get into how her intersectional identities of being Black, biracial, and a woman have impacted her experiences in the tech field, how she's learned to embrace her identities as an integral part of her story and personal brand. Leslie's also served as a mentor to many and been mentored along her journey. So we get into how do you create a successful mentor-mentee relationship and sustain it over time? And what does sustaining even look like? And then also, we spend some time getting into how we can influence change as individual contributors and see ourselves as leaders from wherever we sit. I am so glad you're here, thanks for joining us today. Before we dive in, let me share with you a bit more about our amazing guest. Leslie Chapman is a distinguished software engineer for one of the largest multinational telecommunications companies. She has been one of the technical leads for platforms that serve over 35 million customers. Over the course of her career, Leslie has earned two Emmys, one technical and one primetime, is the first black woman to attain the title of distinguished engineer within her organization, and she holds three patents. Currently, Leslie leads a team that is building back-end systems that drive consistent user experiences across a suite of video streaming products. She is passionate about encouraging young women to enter the tech field and spends a lot of time volunteering with organizations that teach coding to young women. I am so excited to have her here. Welcome to the Trailblazing in Color podcast, Leslie. Hi, Sarah. It's so great to see you. so great to see you. I'm so excited for our conversation. And I want to start by giving, there's the bio version, but of course there's the story version. How did you come to be where you are today? How did you even gain interest in the the STEM field and and really where you've landed? So I want to hear more about your origin story. Tell us a little bit about you and where you came from. Absolutely. So uh,
1: I actually lived in Puerto Rico until I was 10 years old. And that's when my family moved to the States proper. And I was really into animals and particularly my pet cats. I was really into watching television, listening to music and playing uh, with my computers and video games. And when I started to, you know, get to an age where it was time to think about like college and what I wanted to do, I really wanted to be an actress because I really love television. So I actually started out going to college for video production and editing. And I didn't love it, to be honest with you. And, you know, I was talking with my mom and dad and said, well, what should I do? I, I don't love this. And meanwhile, I'm like probably tinkering on one of my computers while asking them, what should I do? And they're like, you know, there's this whole field called software engineering where you could basically like play with computers for a job. I'm like, no way. That's a real thing. Uh, they were right. Thank goodness for them. And uh, the rest is history. I, I always like to say that the, the coolest thing about my whole origin story is that, you know, what I really wanted to do was be an actress, work in television, and hopefully someday do something crazy like win an Oscar or an Emmy. And I still got there. I just got
0: there through software engineering. That's wild, isn't it? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> what a journey. <laughs> because it never it's never a straight line, but you can see the through line in where your interests are. And obviously, you reflected on this a lot, too. Have made those connections but we we never know exactly how we're going to get there we just start a plant, We we plant that plot point and and the rest is kind of up to each choice we make so thinking about the choices and the influences you've had i mean you hold several intersectional identities being black biracial a woman in software engineering a very male dominated profession How have those experiences and this intersectionality as your identity shaped how your career has unfolded and also your views have unfolded?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that early on in my career, I definitely struggled. Shoot, I'm not even going to say early in my career. I still struggle with imposter syndrome. I still struggle with feeling like I deserve to be in the room. I think in particular um, something that, that women and, and people of color often struggle with is feeling like we shouldn't ask for any more. I'm just lucky to be here. Uh, so let me not rock the boat. Let me not upset anybody. <laughs> but to that vein, I genuinely don't wanna upset anybody. Right. I genuinely want to be happy when I walk into a room. And so much of that, what I found is making relationships, letting people get to know what's inside of me instead of just seeing me and making knee jerk reactions about how I might react or how intelligent I am. So I have tried very hard to lean on my soft skills, um, particularly being able to listen giving just anybody else the space so that they can share. I lean in a lot to my empathy of what others might be experiencing and the fact that every single day, we're all bringing so much baggage to work and you never know what that baggage is. And so if someone's ever short with me or you know anything like that, I just always come at it with a bunch of empathy and and try to think especially over the course of the last few years we are all just in a completely different headspace every single day and most of us don't set out to to be negative or or to cut people off or interrupt people so when it happens to me i i just try to let it roll off i know that there's going to be space for me to be heard the same way i'm making space for other people to be heard and i think that's the the biggest way that I've kind of leaned into uh, my, my intersectional identities. Mm
0: -hmm. Hey, if you are enjoying the show, be sure you subscribe and join our community at trailblazingincolor.com where we share resources, connect you with other amazing trailblazers in our trailblazer circles and amplify our collective power. Hope we see you there. Okay. Back to the show. We were talking the other day a bit more about this but thinking about how fundamentally over the course of your lifetime starting to embrace those identities and and use them as a part of your story and tell say it out loud how has that transition to really embracing your identity as as part of your personal brand been kind of come to fruition over time for you I
1: think the biggest thing was finding my group. I was so hungry when I was like a young engineer that I just really wanted to fit in anywhere. And they're also the only place to fit in was with a lot of people that didn't look like me uh, at the time, because this was over 20 years ago. And I never really internalized until recently the power of community. And it does get completely back into some of those soft skills and particularly into when you're having a bad day and you need an ally or a circle of allies. Or one of the things that I love hearing about anymore is like a board of directors, your your group of mentors and sponsors that you've garnered over the years. That's definitely the biggest place where I've leaned in, And I'm definitely not going to say that it is always a circle of women or always a circle of black women, but it is a trusted group of like-minded individuals from a vast number of backgrounds. But we all share in wanting to support one another. And sometimes that support looks like giving you tough love too. Like, well, you maybe shouldn't have said that earlier today, you know, but, but finding that circle and building
0: that trust has been definitely the biggest thing that I've taken away. Mm -hmm. The tough love piece too. That is so interconnected with trust. I trust that you hold me in this regard and you are saying this fully with the intent of helping me to be the best version of me. And you have to have that trust First, and thinking about the mentors you've had, the sponsors you've had throughout your career, what have been some of the the things that have come to the forefront about what makes a good mentor? How do you build those trustworthy relationships, especially when the power dynamics or the privilege are different? I often say that
1: having been in a lot of uh, mentor relationships, both being a mentor and being mentored... It is a relationship, first and foremost. And it's just like you don't go out on a first date with someone and then decide to get married. You don't meet with a new mentor or mentee and say, that's it, we're locked into this relationship. So giving the relationship time to grow and time to get to know each other and build that trust before you kind of start really going into the deep work Uh, because to get there, you have to trust that this person isn't going to share what you're saying in a safe space. You have to trust that they know some of your background to understand why you're approaching things a certain way. And then it might not just be as easy as, well, you should just do that differently. It's it's never (laughs) really that easy. So that is definitely the way I've always approached it is that it is a relationship, it's a it's a relationship that needs to be fostered, and it's a relationship that is likely going to come to an end someday, uh, just like any other relationship. They will often run their courses, and, and when they have, and you can both kind of part amicably or take a little bit more time than you used to but then come back and reconnect the same way old friends in relationships can do. Maybe at first you're w- meeting every other week and and y- you've grown because of this person. And now it's just once every six months or even once a year. But you'll also find that you, you pick back up exactly where you left things because you built those strong foundations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's so easy to feel like we have to be at the same level of relationship all the way through, especially when like as you're moving into growing your circles and building your network and really finding, oh, wow, I have a lot of supporters here, but I should be nurturing them all the time or I should be connecting with them all the time. No, we're going to have our inner circle and our outer circle and, and so on and so forth. And it's going to change. It has to, based on what we're needing at the time. So I'm so glad you've had such strong mentors and also been a strong mentor yourself, especially as we're thinking about uh, what you were saying earlier in terms of don't just start by, hey, we're connected. I'm your mentor now. I'm going to give you all the advice because chances are your advice is going to be very misguided and you don't have the context of their lived experience. And so- Thank you for bringing up that point.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I love
0: it. Uh, And that
1: is something that I definitely try to do is ask more questions about like, why do you think you reacted that way? Or like, you know, do you regret that? And really trying to, I think, put yourself in somebody else's headspace because we are all completely unique individuals who are going to handle things different ways and need to handle things different ways so that we can sleep at night. So being able to navigate that road so that you're still your authentic self and you don't have any regrets, but maybe you just handled something or a situation or asked for something in a way where you were still authentic, you were still true to yourself, but just a little bit more informed as to how to steer things the way you want them to go.
0: That's emotional intelligence. It's empathy, like you were saying, but really working on those skills within yourself to learn from as many experiences as you can to then understand that we're all coming from different places. And we've, we've kept it pretty positive so far and most of the interview will be positive, but I do want to hear what have been some of the negative experiences or what, what have people said that over the course of your career journey, just in life that anger or upset you, maybe even to this day?
1: You know, I have to say that, like, nothing stands out in my brain immediately about people that have said things that upset me. I have found I have upset myself more when I regret the way I handled a situation. I am my own worst critic. I will lose sleep for nights if I feel like I put my foot in my mouth or if I feel like, um... I was short with somebody or I interrupted somebody or I didn't give someone space. Um, Those, those are honestly my biggest regrets. And so my big thing that I do anymore is try to always take a pause. And it's funny. We have like a, there's this thing that you can enable in Microsoft teams. It's a speaker coach. And it will tell you if you are uh, perhaps saying words that aren't inclusive. It can also uh, work with you on your intonation to to talk faster, talk slower. And it's constantly telling me to talk faster. Hmm. And I'm okay with that because I am choosing my words carefully. And I do that whether I'm speaking with someone uh, like we are right now or whether I'm especially when I'm on our written mediums, like email or Slack or whatever, there is just this tendency that I've seen in myself in the past and, and also in others to have these knee-jerk reactions. And you can't take it back. But you can always wait until the next morning to send a very thoughtful response. And I think when I was younger, I felt like if I didn't respond right away, then I was somehow you know giving something up or... They would think less of me because I was maybe too meek to respond right away. But what I found was that when I responded right away, most of the time it was not thoughtful. It was not helpful. And it didn't portray me in the light I wanted to be portrayed in. So I will almost always respond a little late, but it's because I care about what I respond to people with. And to date, nobody's ever said... Hey, you take you talk too slow, other than the speaker coach. Nobody tells me I talk too slow. Nobody's told me I responded too slow. So it's worked out well for me. Yeah,
0: and um, I know you have some practices in place that help you create that pause. Can you share some of those that work at work for you? You know, the biggest one is
1: like, I check myself on if I'm listening or if I'm just waiting for the other person to finish talking. And especially in engineering, we are all incredibly passionate about our ideas and our solutions. And there's also this um, first to find kind of thing. Uh, And that's in the gaming industry as well. Like first to get there, first to say it. What I've definitely learned is that I am not the smartest person in the room. If I have that idea and I'm in a room with 50 other people, like 20 other people have that idea. And all I'm doing by being the first to find and often the first to interrupt or the first to talk over someone is not being a good team player. And so I try to check myself on, are you listening or are you just like chomping at the bit to say something? And that's my one like emotional cue. And I always have my little notebook because I'm afraid I'm going to forget what I wanted to respond. And I write down what I want to respond. And I put that aside and I listen. And like I just said, most of the time, the person speaking is actually gonna get to where I thought I needed to interrupt them and say, or somebody else in the room finds the right moment to say it as well. And then what I can do, especially you know, given my privilege at this point, given my title can be the person to back them up and say, Sarah, that was a great idea. And I found even when I was a younger engineer, one of the ways that I learned this was that I had somebody else who was constantly interrupting me and it felt so awful. And so many times they were interrupting me with something I was about to say. And I'm like, this isn't unique. This is what we're all doing to each other. So I want to sit back and I want to be the person that listens, that really listens because, and I I like to call myself like an aggregator of ideas because when you're one of the only people in the room that's actually listening to what everybody said, you can pull the best parts of everybody's idea. You know who said them. And then you can sit there and go, you know what, Sarah, I like what you said about part A and what Andrew said about part B. And if we, and then I was thinking about this thing, part D, what if we stitch it all together? And now that's why we work on teams
0: because we're better working together. Aggregator of ideas. I love that. And only, like you said, when you're deeply listening and listening, not to respond, but to fully understand, you're asking more poignant questions and your brain is turning that much faster into, okay, okay, now we've got this foundation. How can we meld it all together into something great that is greater, a greater sum than each of us individually could create? And I know you've been vocal about the role of individual contributor also having distinctive influence. And I think when you, many people, when they're in that role, uh, they're not leading a team. They don't have any quote unquote perceived power uh, in terms of the eyes of the hierarchy of the organization. How, How can you still contribute meaningfully in an influential way? What are some of the things that you've grown into in terms of that level of influence? Well, I would say, first of all, that every single
1: person is a leader, whether you think so or not. And and think about your role as a human being in the world, not just your title at at whatever company you're at. But if you're out there volunteering, if you're running a household, whether it's your quote unquote day job, um, even if you're Uh, I'm very involved with all my neighbors, Uh, kind of an unofficial block captain, but I I would challenge that everyone is a leader in some aspect of their life, even at any age in their life. Uh, You know, I remember being younger and playing the flute and I got to first chair flute and I was a leader at that point in middle school when the other people that played the flute will come to me and ask them to help them uh, play a specific stanza or something. So when you kind of look at your life as a whole, you can find that you really do, everyone has the ability to lead. And sometimes it has to do, a lot of it has to do with whether you're feeling that imposter syndrome, whether you believe you can lead. Um, So getting yourself to the level where We all have opinions, maybe it's whether or not we feel confident in expressing them. So especially as individual contributors, there are a few unique things that that we can do that might help people listen to us when we inevitably wanna lead them into a technical solution. And that is kind of all the stuff I said before, which is they have to trust you, first of all, If anybody at any point thinks that you're going to be the kind of person who doesn't give credit uh, to their ideas, they're not going to share their ideas with you and they're not going to want to be led by you. They're going to be afraid that if they share a PowerPoint with you or share an idea with you, you're going to take it and uh, call it your own. So always give credit to the team that you're leading, that you were just there to, to help fill in the gaps for the team and they really did the hard work. Also, Being really accountable to what you say you're going to do, I find is incredibly important as an individual contributor. If you say you're going to get something done on a certain timeline, if you say you're going to use a certain piece of technology, whatever it is, um, own what you said you're going to do. Roadmaps change, and that's fine. Own the change, too, but... Nobody's going to want to follow an individual contributor who kind of says one thing and does a completely other thing. People like to know where they're going, to know what they're getting into, and to know that their ideas are going to be respected and they're going to be given credit for them. So those are kind of the tenets that I have leaned into. Because the other thing I like to say is at the end of the day, I'm not the smartest Java developer. I'm not the smartest Kotlin developer. I'm sure that there are people coming out of college today that could code circles around me. What differentiates me is giving space to other people, giving credit to other people and being accountable to them for our success.
0: Mm I heard trust, transparency, and it really brings me back to the pause too. I think that we're prone to covering or hiding our mistakes. We're prone to taking credit for others' work. When we feel like we're so under the pressure of being on this this proving field, uh, rather than we're all here to support each other and we're all here to grow together, amplify each other's everything, and so that pause there too is so important because when we're when we're in the grind, it's easy to forget others' feelings. It's easy to to let go of that empathy and just want to get move through it, move past it. But when we really sit with who, what's the kind of person I want to be? What kind of collaborator and teammate do I want to be? And how can I best serve those around me? And just like you said about the the leading from wherever you sit, because there's so much that we discredit in terms of our experience and leadership, but it's, it's everything. And it all builds up to this fundamental way that we can be there for one another and concern for everyone's best interests. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure if anyone
1: thinks back, it doesn't matter whether if you were in the band like I was or played sports or even thinking back to being like really good at different video games and uh, you know, showing your friends, "Oh no, like on level 13, you got to take the side door." Like we all have things that we excel at. And the other thing is, looking back on those, um, we all have things that we thought we would never be good at uh, that we ended up accomplishing and and like completely winning at. And so when I talk with with younger kids in like middle school and high school, that's one of the things that I like to tell them about software engineering is like it is tough you are going to be frustrated at not being able to solve uh, various problems. But there was probably a guitar riff you couldn't figure out at some point in time or how to make a three-point shot that you couldn't figure out at one point in time or get to the last level in Super Mario Brothers. But you figured all of that out and you can figure out everything in life too if you have the same
0: passion and determination. I'm so glad you brought up young, young women, young middle schoolers, even, how do we start to impact a growth in this field of female representation? What, some, what are some of the things you've seen? And, and I know you do a lot of active work in this too.
1: It's letting them know that there are other women that have done it. Seeing somebody else that has accomplished it and then showing them that you're happy there not only happy, but passionate, excited. That's one of the reasons I really do love going out and and talking with younger folks um, is because their faces light up when they hear about two Emmys and they never even thought like, wait, that's, that's such a nerdy job. How did you get such cool stuff? And it's like, no, it's a cool job. So showing them it's cool, showing them that there are other people in this space that are willing to help them definitely reminding them that like you are surrounded by more people that want to help you than people that want to tear you down, finding mentors, leaning into the spaces of people that pick you up instead of tearing you down. Um, and you know, last but not least, you know, not to be crass, but quite frankly, especially in the areas where I like to do my outreach, letting them know what a lucrative career it is. Because a lot of young folks really haven't been completely indoctrinated into what a career in Steam can mean. There's still a little bit of, you know, like, oh, I have to be a ball player, a doctor, a lawyer, nope, or an engineer.
0: Yeah. And well, Lily's in middle school now. And seeing her and also her friends, so I I lead her Girl Scout troop and and the way that they're coming into their own, it's such a such a malleable time, but they're so prone to just going with what everyone else is doing. We know that. That's middle school 101. But when you see someone who's changing the narrative and coming in and saying, no, this is really, here are all the reasons why you want to just check this out. And here's how it connects to the things you already love doing today being on apps, you go build them, playing video games, you could go create your own. And so connecting those dots and the lucrative part too, I think influencer is another on that list that is so like, oh, I'll just be an influencer. Well, that's about as as possible as a baseball player. So let's look at what a really awesome field that maybe you've never considered because you haven't been exposed to someone who looks like you. Who, uh, yeah, so I love that. And I, for one, appreciate all of the work you do in going out and amplifying this possibility for girls and young women because we can't be what we can't see as we know. So your voice and your, you being in the body you're in and going out and having these conversations matters so much.
1: Oh, thank you. Now it's, it's, you know, we talked about being able to sleep at night and and that's a big part of it for me is just knowing if I could make a difference in a couple people's lives, how huge is that? And, you know, one of the things that I also love to point out exactly to your point, it's like when I was younger and going to college for software engineering, I have to admit it was boring then. I kind of liked it, though. Um, but it really was like, okay, you get done school, where are you going to work? You're going to work for Microsoft, IBM, Intel, Apple, Oracle. Um, but now every single industry touches technology. If you're really into cars, you can go write software for cars. If you're into airplanes or aerospace, if you're into, um, The medical industry, you can use your powers to make software that helps save people's lives and it's all completely transferable. I started out working on this is like batch processing systems. So basically it's how the software that runs like oil refineries works and made it all the way to multimedia industry. But it's completely transferable so that if you get into it and you say, I want to do something with cars and then
0: it bores you, you can move right on over into the music industry. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think you can, because you can connect those dots so easily, it's like, let's encourage more people from underrepresented communities in this space because then we can build generational wealth. We can build a lot of things as a result when we have more individuals in this space. And you've been an activist, if I can say that, uh, for a long time in this space. And one of, another really cool thing that I think you've done is back in 2011, when you served as a women in tech panelist at the UN's 55th annual commission on the status of women. And I want to ask in that time, so it's been 11 years now, what have you seen change since then?
1: So, uh. A lot has changed. And one thing I, I want to point out is how I ended up there. Uh, so there is a wonderful volunteer organization called Tech Girls, and they've been around for quite some time. And uh, I ended up getting introduced to them just through friends of friends in, in our tech circle. Uh, and I, this was one of my first volunteer opportunities. And what we were doing was teaching these young girls how to make jewelry out of old computer parts. So we would take apart uh, an old desktop computer and I would teach them about the various parts that we had taken out of it. And then I taught them very carefully how to solder and how to make jewelry and what metals could actually be soldered to other metals. Uh, And we had a whole bunch of adults there making sure that everybody was safe with the soldering irons. Um, But it was awesome. So I went back to do this class with tech girls a few times. And again, it was one of those things that just I I would sleep so great those nights because it was just so cool. And one of the other women that was volunteering, we all had each other's emails. And she sends me an email after, I don't know, a month of us doing this every other week. And she said, Hey, Leslie, uh, I was just asked to go speak at the UN. Are you free? Uh, We need another panelist. And I was like, uh, yeah, I'll be there um, So it's pretty I always love that story because it's amazing the doors that can open up for you from doing something as as silly as as teaching young girls how to uh, solder computer parts together because it was already rewarding enough uh, but once once you kind of start opening doors for yourself, and you pay attention to the other doors that open, you'd be amazed. But what has changed since then? So that was the first time that I was ever on a stage with a group of women that I held in such high esteem, being watched by a group of women that were thirsty to learn more. And I made so many contacts that day, and it's like a snowball. I made so many contacts that day after the conference, as you know, after we got off stage and I got to meet UN delegates and I got to meet some of the other women that were in the audience and it just, we kept in touch and, you know, fast forward to today, I have shared the stage with so many amazing women, executives from companies like Twitter, um, geez, just all over the place, Amazon, I mean, any of the big fang. I have shared a stage with so many women, not only women, but women of color. And so I think the coolest thing is when I walked into the UN that day, it was so weird and I'd never seen anything like it.
0: And now it's old hat,
1: Mm. but it's not time to give up.
0: First of all, I love the story of how you came to be on that stage, in that room. And so true. That's how it happens. You put yourself out there as someone willing to serve and serve in specific ways. And it snowballs, as you said. And to hear that it's way less uncommon for us to see stages like that. And yet we know we still need a lot more women executives, a lot more Fortune 500 CEOs that are women of color, that are we've got some work to do. So we're not slowing down, but it's really nice to hear that things have evolved. There is progress. I know sometimes it doesn't feel yes. that way because we're just, oh, it feels so far away to actually get to equity and yet progress and seeing that, that passage of time that, oh, wow, look, looking back, things have really gotten better. And yes, there will always be more to be done.
1: Absolutely. You know, it's it's funny too. I'll, I'll never forget. I think one of the lightning round questions that was asked uh, at the end of the, the panel was around what we can do as women to affect the industries that we were in. And one of the women that I shared the stage with actually worked for Levi's, the jeans company. And she she stood up and she said, well, I work for Levi's and I love Levi's, but I have to go home and hack my own pants so that they fit me better because I'm short and I like a higher waisted pant. And she, she actually stood up and showed that off. And, uh, I just thought it was really cool because it also goes back to like getting everybody in the room and how we can make everything better. And so this is a technologist, uh, by trade but that intersection of our hobbies. I got there because I like to make jewelry. She was a software engineer, but she also liked to hack her jeans at home. Mm. And uh, we did keep in touch and they ended up adopting
0: her jean hack. <laughs> yes. it's You're so right that bringing up these, these co-mingling of we have a voice, we have a a place here, what are we going to do with it? And we hear sometimes on awards, Emmy Awards, Academy Awards, standing up and actually making a statement, you'll hear. And so what are we doing with our unique platforms to make those statements that we want the world to hear? Because it doesn't all have to be so singularly focused. There everything is interconnected. How can we amplify the messages and and the inequities that we're seeing in the variety of spaces we Coexisting yeah what's making you feel hopeful right now and what do you see as the next phase of this work of your work oh my gosh I'm, I'm hopeful
1: about a lot um i am so happy to see the advancements that we've made and the organizations that are out there to help get the good work done just for wherever you live in the world if you google like volunteer help children code um or whatever floats your boat there's no uh shortage of ways that we can give back and again it also goes back to you don't have to be a vp you don't have to be a distinguished engineer we all have such unique ways that we can give back and that's one of the things that i actually really uh love about tech girls is that if folks that are still in college, if, if they have the spare time, have so much to give back to middle school and, and it just all, it, it all fits in together. But I'm, I'm excited about where we're going and I'm excited about all the connections I've made and the passion from, from everyone that I meet. Hmm.
0: Well, we're winding down and we always end with a A rapid fire couple of questions. Leslie, you are a trailblazer in so many ways. And I want to know who are some of the people that trailblaze the path for you? Oh, boy. That's a hard one. There's
1: so many. And I, I don't think you would recognize any of their names necessarily. You know, it is in those little bespoke moments of, Somebody that I volunteered with reaching out and asking me, hey, can I go do this talk? It's in moments when co-workers of mine trust me enough to ask, hey, can I bring my child to work and have them hang out with you all day? Like, what a complete honor to have somebody <laughs> to entrust you with their child. And and then, quite frankly, so much are also things that I've learned from the young men and women that I've worked with. Some of the highlights in my mind are uh, when I worked with a, a young man who kept asking me, what language should I learn? What programming language should I learn? And I said, it doesn't matter. It's so transferable. You have to find a language that you think is fun because if you think it's fun, you'll want to keep doing the lessons. And once you get the knack for it, you're going to be able to pick up any other language. And so we spent the bulk of that day like, all right, let's try Ruby on Rails. What do you think about this? All right, let's try Swift. What do you think about this? Let's try Kotlin. And they ended up at the end of the day really liking uh, Ruby on Rails. And I heard from their father that they had just gotten so into it, really kept pursuing it, and I believe they go to Duke now for software engineering and still says to their dad, still asks like, whatever happened to that, that girl, Leslie, who taught me that it doesn't matter what language, like how amazing is that? And then um, one of my other favorites uh, was from, from Tech Girls. We were basically teaching them how to rewrite Flappy Bird with um, like it's these coding blocks that you drag and drop. And my favorite part of this lesson that we would get to is where you say how many lives you have. Uh, So, you know, after your flappy bird crashes three times, game over. And there was uh, a couple young girls that figured out very quickly that they could hack it. Wait a second, Miss Leslie, we could change this to 100 lives and then we won't die. And I'm like, you can change it. To a million lives and just seeing that light bulb go off and me, and me being like see that's why software engineering's really cool you can go now show all your friends that you can hack a video game uh, so i think that has been very influential to me it keeps me going
0: mm, it's about those so many micro moments that really lead to these ripple effects of you influencing others, but also that coming right back and inspiration comes from everywhere. And you've always led with curiosity and at least with me and I know with others, but like really, I wanna know your mind. I wanna know what you think. And when you open someone up like that, it changes how they see themselves. I don't want this conversation to end. Two more questions, <laughs> and then right. I know you have to go. What is a book that you've read that changed the way you think about other people and or the world? Oh, boy. Okay. I have to admit, I basically only read really,
1: really bad fiction novels.
0: You introduced um, me to Clive Barker.
1: Yes, I <laughs> love Clive. Oh, Thief of Always is still one of the best books. So unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to give you a very intelligent answer here. I really should. It is in my cart to buy Michelle Obama's new book because she is speaking here soon. So, uh, fast forward, you'll have to keep me honest on that, that I actually follow through, but no, part of my decompressing at the end of the day is to, uh, is to watch either terrible bravo television or or read a pretty salacious fiction novel and kind of forget about the world of software engineering for a little bit.
0: Yeah, I say that's a great decompression but also every story we read changes our perspective and I think there's so much power in in novel stories too because we we think we have to just be reading self-help and and nonfiction all the time, but we need joy. We need just a good story yeah. to take our mind away from all of the big world problems that we're trying to solve. <laughs> my favorite also is I get
1: recommended a lot of these novels by uh, my good girlfriends, and then we get to talk about them afterwards mm. and not talk about them like how we're gonna <inaudible> make our workday better. Like, like can you believe that? Went the scene where that happened, and oh my gosh, I. I couldn't put it down for two more hours. Now I'm tired for work today.
0: (laughs) I love that. Yes. Back to connection. All those moments of connection. Okay. Last question. How can people support your work?
1: Watch more television. Watch more movies. (laughs) The thing that I think I would like to leave everyone with is being kind to one another and reaching out to any organization where you can give back to bring the next generation forward, make their lives easier in any of the ways that we talked about, whether it's teaching somebody about sports and sportsmanship, whether it's teaching somebody to pick up an instrument and try that for the first time, whether it is just playing Mario Kart when somebody's had a bad day, just sitting in silence with someone, but leave the world a better place than where you found it and encourage the next
0: generation of people to do that. Leslie, thank you so much for being here today Mm -hmm. and for all that you're doing every day. I'm so grateful. And the world is luckier for you. Thank you. I did my job. (laughs) Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the trailblazing in color podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the podcast on Spotify, Apple podcasts, or wherever you listen. Don't forget to hit subscribe for future episodes. You can also follow us on Instagram at at trailblazingincolor and at trailblazingincolor.com slash podcast. The Trailblazing in Color podcast is created and executive produced by me, Sarah Chapman Becerra. The Trailblazing in Color podcast season one production team includes Alicia Archer and the podcast bestie team, led by Angie M. Jordan and supported by Jean Credit and Sarah Decker. Our theme song was composed by Troy Chapman. Thanks dad.